All right, we are in Esther chapter 2 tonight. I called it tonight's class Choices. And there's some crazy choices going on in this text tonight. Uh, my, my mind went back to my time in college. And I was a part of two communities in college. I went to school. I was a Christian. I did not go to a Christian college. I, you know, for those of you who are wondering, well, you're a pastor. Well, I went to seminary later. But I, I, I was pre-med. I, I went to a college and, um, yeah, I like to say they put the liberal and liberal arts. It was, uh, it's kind of like my, my go-to joke about that school. Anyway, um, there weren't a lot of outspoken Christians. And I came in wondering about that. And so I, I definitely joined the, the local, you know, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship to get involved with fellow Christians. But also I was wondering, my question was not a great theological one. My question was, where's Jesus not at on this campus? And that's just a dumb question theologically, but it was a fair question for in terms of missions. And I said, well, you know, I don't think he's in the Greek system. There's not a lot of Greek, you know, the, the fraternities and sororities. So I joined a frat. And so I was in two worlds. And neither world, like the frats didn't really care that I was a part of IV. They just didn't care at all. They're like, oh, whatever. You got to do this. You got to do that. Joel, you, they called and said, JB, we get it. You're a Jesus dude. We got it. We're cool. That's your thing. We're good. The problem is I found myself with my own tension. I could not attend a lot of events because I was hanging out with my bros. And I was trying to be on the mission field with these guys and trying to, I was trying to, to, to show Christ to them. And, and I felt like I was disappointing either side. I just wasn't able to stay true. I couldn't go to all these events, and I couldn't go to all of those events. I struggled, and I struggled, and when there was a conflict, I chose the frat. If I had a choice between, well, I got to go to this, this Christian event or the fraternity event, almost every single time, I chose the frat. I was thinking, this is my mission field. And you know what? I got to say, by... I look back at that time in my life, I had a lot of hypocrisy. I just did not live the faith very well. But by God's grace, like two or three guys accepted Christ. And they blamed me for it. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's talk about Jesus. I want what you have, JB. Okay, you, you know that I'm a broken... Yes, but I want... Okay, fine. I'm like, I'm just... There was a tension there with me. I was living in two different worlds on that campus. And my tension kind of mirrors what Esther's going to go through today, what Mordecai is going to go through today. Theirs is, of course, it seems like life and death. Mine is just a comfort levels. But let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get cracking on Esther chapter 2. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for these men and women journeying alongside me in this text. Lord, I thank you for the tension that we're going to find in the book of Esther. I thank you that uh, the situations that Esther and Mordecai are going to face are not neat and tidy. They are just weird, and I don't know if there even seems to be a right answer, but God, we discussed last week, God, about your providential hand at work through the ordinary events of life, and that's what we've got in this very secular book of Esther. So I'm just so honored to be able to, to walk with this group of people tonight through this second chapter of Esther, and um, we just pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so we are starting, again, it's choices tonight, and be thinking about your own choices Think about this for one second. If all you have is the book of Esther, you're not going to make good choices in life. It's going to be really hard if all you had was Esther. Thank God we have all these other books of the Bible to help us. 
Because Esther, like we said last week, is just kind of a secular book. In fact, not even kind of. It's very secular. God's nowhere to be seen. And yet we're still expected to honor God with our lives. So the choices. Here we go. One to four. We start with the subheading later. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Well then, jeez. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young, women who, young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Yeah, I bet. Dudes over 127 provinces, this is like the bachelor times 127. I mean, there is no surprise. Every time you go to a high school, usually, the cheerleaders ending up being really cute, and the, the star football players ended up being really handsome. It's just for some reason, the, the, these people just gravitate to these kind of areas. So we have in 127 provinces, commissioners being appointed. Can I be brass about it? Find me the hottest ones and send them my way. And maybe some will make the cut and we'll get to the inner circle. And the one who is uh, the, the best of them all gets to be queen. Wow. Man, this is, this is kind of messed up. This is in the Bible? I mean, seriously? This sounds, I mean, this just sounds weird. Okay. Now, we've had an eventful four years. Between chapter one and chapter two, the events of the movie 300 happened. Remember last week we had that Persian pep rally, rah, 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 follow me into battle, where the battle happened. And Greece handed Xerxes his lunch. Okay? Defeated. So he comes back home full of whatever. He, couldn't, he, he, he followed in his daddy uh, Darius' footsteps. Darius also could not defeat Greece. And Xerxes comes home defeated, broke. And all of a sudden the text tells us his mind drifts back to Vashti. Gorgeous Vashti. Gee. I wonder what's on the king's mind. He's got nothing to write home about in his life. So he starts to remember, I'm the most powerful man in the world. I can uh, satisfy whatever I wish to satisfy. I, mean, I don't know. He's, his, he comes back defeated, and his mind drifts back to the one that he sent away. Hmm. Oh, Vashti. You know, I wonder what she's doing. Yeah, I remember Vashti. Wow. She, she, she struck a mighty nice uh, figure. She was someone I like to show off. Yeah, I wonder what happened to her. So his, his, uh, he's ready to indulge himself because that's what he does. We remember his party from last week. It was a one big indulging, nonsensical party. Advice given which suits the king. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's find... Uh, I mean, if you think that uh, the, the footman in, in, in the Cinderella story going house to house with a slipper is going a little bit too far. Who's going to fit this foot? Try going province by province and finding the hottest ones and bringing them to the king. And they all had to be virgins, of course. They all had to be... You can fill in the blanks. You know what's going on here. This is a king trying to get what he thinks belongs to himself. So how does this plan treat the women of Persia? I mean, they seem like they're objects, don't they? 
they exist to be at the king's disposal. They exist to potentially please the king as long as they are good looking enough, as long as they know how to please a king enough. Um, I'm trying not to be graphic, but the text, there's a tension there. It's like, yeah, if you're hot enough and you are memorable enough, you win. This is messed up. And we, we look back at this after the whole hashtag Me Too's. I mean, we look back at this after what goes on in our celebrity culture and all this kind of, you know, consent laws and that kind of, We look back at this and go, oh, heck no. This wouldn't fly today. And so you look at the, the modern, you know, TV, movie variations of, of, of Esther and then they smooth it over because it's pretty messed up. This is the most popular guy and the most powerful guy and the most I can do what I want guy ever in the biggest kingdom ever this is it this is that guy this is xerxes v xerxes what motivates the king here um yeah i don't need to say it do i indulging his senses his pleasures um the king is uh has been missing the um, the attention of a woman or women and he wants to remedy that situation doesn't he and his advisors are not dummies. They say, how about this plan? Let's get you the best of the best, O king. You can imagine Xerxes saying, oh, twist my arm. Yeah. Disposal. Women just being objectified for whatever. That gets us launched here. Verses 5 to 7. We get the first time the word Jews is in the Bible. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure. Thank you, Bible, for telling us that. This sounds like a non sequitur. Oh, she had a lovely figure. Great. What about her personality? What about her test scores? What about, you know? No, this is the context of, is she going to be one of those? And evidently, maybe. We'll see. She had a lovely figure. And was beautiful. Oh, all right. I don't know how women you judge each other, but I know how the king judges women. Oh, yeah, she looks nice and she's gorgeous. Maybe she had nice hair. Maybe she never had a bad hair day. Maybe she, uh, she's like Snow White, and everywhere she goes, little woodland creatures start chirping around her. I don't know. We got... And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. She's like an orphan. Okay. Now, the narrator links Mordecai to Israel. Now, don't get all caught up on his, his daddies and his, and his granddaddies. Oh, he has to literally be the, the son of this one or the son of this one. In fact, some commentators were like, they, they look at some of these... Uh, uh, genealogies in the Bible and they take them very hyper literally and if you take this very literally Mordecai ends up being like 150 years old or something to go way back there genealogies in the Bible they would call themselves Jews would call themselves sons of Abraham were they a son of Abraham no the sons of Abraham were Isaac and Jacob And we got Ishmael, yeah, a son of Abraham. That's it. So a Jew calling himself a son of Abraham is using a metaphor going way back to Abraham and a son of Israel. 
Israel, known as Jacob. So we have the 12 tribes of Jacob. And so we have here a link to one of the tribes, which is Benjamin. The most famous Benjamite of all time, you could argue, you could argue the Apostle Paul. But by, you know, by this time in history, there was one Benjamite that was the most important one, and that was, oddly enough, the exact same name, King Saul. Now, why do I mention King Saul? Because King Saul's, King Saul's daddy was Kish. And here we have Kish being linked to Mordecai. Another famous Benjamite. We also have another Benjamite, um, Shimei. Shimei was a guy when King David was running from Absalom. Shimei was this little guy on the side of the hill calling down curses and talking smack to, to, to King David. Just talking all this trash to David. And David's like, what's the big idea? And one of David's commanders is like, can I just off this guy? We are all tired of him talking all this trash to us. And David's like, no, wait a minute. He's calling down curses from God. Let's let him keep talking. Because if he's right... And God is cursing me? I, I, I don't want to be, uh, have that, I don't want that blow to my hands, essentially. So David lets him live. That she may. So what's the narrator doing? He's linking this Mordecai as a Jew. Jew in Hebrew is Yehudi. Why do I mention that? Because it's a variation of the Hebrew word Yehuda, Judah. So Jews, by definition, are Judahites. And it makes sense. Way back a few generations before, the upper ten tribes got wiped out by the Assyrians, who would later be knocked out by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Remember that date? The Babylonians come and smack, take Jerusalem, and the Judahites are all that's left. Kind of tucked into Judah's armpit is the little tribe of Benjamins there, too. So we're not surprised to see a Benjamite here. The Levites didn't have land. They had cities. They were kind of parkmarked throughout all the empire, the Jewish uh, the, the nation of Israel. So the remaining Jews are largely Judahites. David's nation. After the nation split, Israel, after David and Solomon, the nation split, and Israel up north and Judah up south, down south. And every bad king, there was, only, there was only like five or six good kings, and they were all in Judah. Not one was up north. They were all down south. So we have Mordecai, his link to Israel. And we have a cousin with two names, Hadassah and Esther. Gee, I wonder, Mr. Narrator, if this woman, like me in college, was feeling like she's going to live in two different worlds. This narrator's no dummy. He doesn't have to give us both names, but he does. You see, there's going to be this tension between her Jewish side and... Remember, these are people that could have gone back to the promised land when Cyrus allowed Ezra and Nehemiah and all the nation to go back. Worship your God, do your thing. Cyrus, great king, such a great Gentile king. God called him a Messiah, his anointed one to do this very thing. Wow, we discussed that last week. But the characters in Esther said, uh-uh, we're not going back. We're going to stay. So already there's this tension between their Jewish heritage and their kind of like living in luxury Persian current heritage we're going to see that tension here a cousin with two names that tension is going to be alive and well in her who is she going to honor is she going to honor her god or is she going to honor her situation her comfort i don't know i don't want to beat up on her the text doesn't let me to the text also doesn't let us to praise her it's really hard i have a daughter 
I don't think when my daughter gets to be a certain age, we're going to try to raise her to dress modestly, although I don't know. You see what kids wear today, and they get older, and they wear even less, and it's just, my goodness, or they wear tighter things. And I'm just just looking at my wife, and we're just dreaming about when our daughter gets that age and the conversations we're going to have. I guarantee you this. I'm not going to bring up Esther in those conversations. I don't think I can. It's going to be hard because Esther is not a model of purity, we're going to find out. Esther is not a a paragon of virtue, we're going to find out. Not in our text today. The text doesn't let us have that. It's just that tension there that we have to marinate in. I mean, I made a pot roast tonight and I lost my seasoning packet. I had a bag, like I was supposed to boil it in a bag or something, put it in the oven, and it makes this beautiful pot roast. I didn't do it. I'll take the blame. Sure, a buck can stop with me in my kitchen. Someone mispaced my bag, so I had to do it on the, like a pot on the stove, like the old-timey way. And I'm like, this sucker is like simmering for like two and a half hours, and it's like marinating in all these juices. Do that with this tension, okay? This tension stinks. We like Esther to be cut and dry. We want the narrator to go, yeah, but, and he doesn't. He doesn't. So we're left with these unfinished thoughts about Esther and Mordecai. So we continue. Verses 8 to 11, favor. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him. Now, before we start getting thoughts, this guy's a eunuch. Okay? So the sexual stuff that we're going to be thinking in a few minutes, we don't have to go there yet. All right? There's some people, they walk into the room and they make everybody smile. Okay? She made this guy happy. Maybe she was a good friend. I don't know what it was, but she pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther, here we go, had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. So Esther makes the inner circle, doesn't she? My goodness, the local girl makes it big. All these girls coming from all around the empire and one here in Susa makes the cut. She makes it, she finds so much favor that the one who's going to be kind of like the manager in charge of this whole process likes her, really likes her. She starts getting special food, special beauty treatments. Wow, it's like watching Survivor and one team gets a food challenge and then all of a sudden they start winning things because they have food in their belly. This is not small and yet we're expecting again the text to say and God was with her and God made everybody well disposed to her and God make everyone smile at her and give her all these things but God's not here at least overtly we're left to wonder where God is at and as we watch things unfold we're saying okay God if this is your plan then she's going to have to make the cut I mean we hate to say it We don't want to think about your plan being what's going to come next. 
But I'm just, just saying, God, if, if, if this is going to happen, she's going to have to make the inner circle, and she's going to have to be the chosen. We're, we're, our brain goes there. Because if we're looking for God's hand to be there, could God use a situation like this? That's another tension. This is not a neat and tidy situation at all. Esther makes key choices. She does not reveal who she is. Now, she does later. Spoiler alert. But here, when it seems to matter the most... In terms of integrity, she doesn't do it. How is God providentially at work here? Well, she makes it in, doesn't she? She makes, makes the one guy happy that needs to be made happy. Could you imagine this Haggai guy? That's kind of a weird juxtaposition of words, the Haggai guy. Can you imagine if that guy didn't like her? Oh, yeah, you'll get your turn sometime, you know, the second day of never, and you just stay over there, and all these other girls are going to get all the plum treatments and all that kind of stuff. You're going to get nothing. They got the press-on nails, whatever it is. You're just going to get, yeah, 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 you get the leftovers, and maybe sometime you'll get to, but no, she's getting the best of the best. Wow. Man, God, is God at work? I, I, we don't know. It's hard for us to wrap our mind because we are people who, who pride, on, uh, pride ourselves on purity on being faithful and not just being, I mean, we expect her to be chaste here, to honor God with her body. We're expecting this. And, ugh, darn it, book, you're not giving it to us. And Mordecai's just hanging around. He's there. And evidently, she obeyed Mordecai. Mordecai said, don't you dare say who you are or where you're from. And she says, okay. That's what the text tells us. That's all we hear so far of motivations. She's living to please the one who cared for her. Would you say she's loyal? I guess. Loyal to him? Why am I bringing this up? Well, how's God providentially at work? The question. Well, we can see how God's providentially at work. God is not blatantly at work, but remember God's providence is God directing the course of human history to meet the ends that God has decided for those things. God is therefore providentially at work in the ordinary events of life. And it gets no ordinary events of life in this right here. She makes a choice, and can God use that choice? Does God guide that choice? Does, how is God at work in this really messy sexual situation where there doesn't seem to be a right answer for a faithful Jew? That's the tension. There doesn't seem to be a right answer. And do you know why this is such a, a horrible thing? What's going on back with the people who made the good decision to go back? What is something that Ezra, as you read the book of Ezra, which is kind of around the same period a little bit, what is something that he is dealing with right now? You read the text, and they are rending their garments before Almighty God in the book of Ezra, saying, God, we confess our sins, and one of the number one sins of ours is that we've intermarried with the Gentiles. We've taken them as our wives and our husbands, and we've given our daughters and sons to them as husbands and wives. Please forgive us, O Lord, for we have done this. And here we have Esther in the most Persian part of the kingdom, sleeping and eventually going to be married to the most eligible Gentile of all. And that's just rotten. I can imagine Ezra crying himself to sleep if he knew this. And what's going to blow your mind? is that God's going to use this weird, dare I say, unholy situation to deliver his people. To deliver all the faithful, dare I say, goody-two-shoes, the faithful ones back home. 
He's going to use this rotten situation to deliver all of them. There ain't nothing like the book of Esther. You're looking at your choices like, God, what do I do? We're going to get there. What similarities and differences are with Esther and Daniel? Um, Daniel did not hide his heritage. Daniel faced a bunch of awesome food, and he's like, I ain't doing it. Give me bread and water. Yeah, vegetables, yeah, good, good call. And, and, and the guys are like, eh, no, I don't dare cross the king. And Daniel then says, oh, guess we'll do a test, doesn't he? We'll do a test. You have them have their golden corral over there, and we'll have the bakery section at Jewel with, some, with the produce aisle. They have their rich, fatty foods, and we'll have our, you know, this. And we'll see who ends up being better. And the text tells us Daniel found favor. Another Gentile, and a stranger in a strange land, Joseph. He literally turned down Potiphar's wife's sexual advances. She wanted to have at him, and he ran away. Then she accused him of having at her when he clearly did not. Now, I'm going to get to heaven one day, and Joseph's going to take a shot at me. Because I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't deal with what Joseph was in that house to begin with by himself with that woman. Putting himself in that possible temptation situation. He did the right thing getting out of there, but I digress. Get to heaven, he's going to be waiting for me. That's fine. I have it coming. But I'm just saying Joseph was a stranger in a strange land. He refused to compromise his integrity and his Jewishness, and he found favor. Esther, she's like, where do I sign? She still finds favor. The difference is, in Joseph's case and in Daniel's case, God is there. Daniel refuses to cease his prayer times, even if it means a lion's den. His boy, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his crew, refuse to bow down, even if it means a fiery freaking furnace. They don't compromise anything. They are Jews of Jews. Esther, where do I sign? Here I am. Now, we can't criticize her too much because the text doesn't let us. We can't praise her too much either. We expect more out of you, Esther. We expect a great virtuous Jewess here, a great woman we can tell our daughters about. We can't do that yet. We can't. It's messed up. We can't do that yet. We can't really even see God's hand in this except everything works. Even the bedroom, that works too. God, you're present in that thing? Evidently. Let's keep going. The process, 12 to 14. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh. By the way, we three kings of Orient are. Where are they from? The east. What's east of Jerusalem? Persia. They carry with them gold, frankincense, and... Myrrh. So we're not surprised Persia's got the kingdom capital on myrrh. Persia was known for their spices and their perfumes and their... My goodness, could you imagine 12 months of treatments just so a man would desire you? The man would desire you? Not You're already good looking. You already have the figure. You have everything. You've got everyone's favor. Now the rich in the beauty department are going to get richer. Before you go in for, oh, I'm going to say it, you're not going to like it, before you go in for your one-night stand with the king, 
You're going you're gonna to criticize? I mean, that's what, that's what we got here. How dare you treat the Bible that way? This is a, this is, it's a passionate night. You got one night. Wow. One year for one night. Winner takes all. Loser? Well, what happens to the loser? In the evening, oh, this is how she would go to the king, anything she wanted. Oh, she had perfumes and cosmetics. Okay. She becomes like a L'Oreal girl. Okay. Anything she wanted. Uh, and this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Commentators like to say this would go with her. So if she lost, it became her parting gift. So if there's something really pretty that she liked, a really great gown or, I don't know, a nice pair of shoes that go with everything, a handbag. I don't know, ladies. She gets to have anything in this castle that gets to take with her. She's got to take it with her into the bedroom, and then she gets it. So, she, so if she doesn't win, she gets this priceless thing for the rest of her life. Okay, fine. In the evening, she would go there, and in the morning, return. Um, yeah, I've been around enough uh, college situations to recognize a walk of shame. Go in the evening and return in the morning. Gee, what possibly... Some commentators were giving Esther a break. Oh, they went in to play parlor games. It's like, that's what you call it. Yeah, you just don't leave in the evening and go back in the morning. And yeah, we don't need to read between the lines. We've seen enough TV. We understand. Okay. All right. And they're leaving for my harem to go in there. Yes, yeah, so the text is clear. This whole thing is dripping of sexual innuendo and, and, and all that kind of stuff. You thought the Song of Solomon was the most sexual book of the Bible. No, Esther blows it out of the water. It's just the Song of Solomon is, is a nice, holy expression between a man and a wife. This is a night with the king and rolling the dice on top of that. In the evening she would go there and in the morning return to a part of the harem to the care of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. That tells us she becomes a concubine. She exists to wait no one else can touch her because she belongs to the king. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. So maybe he'll at some point, you know, loser number five to 126 would say, well, you know what, how about bring her back in? I, I liked how she laughed. Or I like this. Or she did this thing with her hair. I don't know. I missed that. Bring her in. She lived to wait for that. Wow. Summon her by name. The losers enjoyed a secluded life of waiting. So, what's going to happen with Esther? Because the, the, the text is leading up to this. When is Esther going to get her turn? Verses 15 to 18. When the turn came for Esther, and, you know, thank you, narrator, for reminding us this, like we're going to forget, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail. Okay, now, now we learn her dad. Fine. All right, fair enough. To go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. Let that sink in for one second. The other main woman in the story, Vashti, whether or not we blame her, in fact, we don't even blame her. Last week, we described her as really the only adult in the room. But she showed defiance. Esther showed deference. She's, she, we, we pictured this conversation. Um, Mr. Haggai, sir, 
Um, yeah, you know, I love you, Esther. Come here, sweetheart. Okay, yeah, well, Mr. Mr. Haggai, sir, um, you know I faced this one situation, and all the ladies have been talking about this and what we should do and what we should bring. And, what we, uh, and you got to understand, these are all virgins, so they're probably not going to know how to please the king, but it's harem talk, I'm sure. There's, there's conversations and all that kind of stuff. We're in a harem. All bets are off, guys. And she's asking Mr. Haggai, so Mr. Haggai, we get to bring something? Well, yes, you do, sweetheart. You get to bring anything you want. Okay, what should I bring? Well, you can bring it. No, I'm not saying what I can. What should I bring? Now, I'm not reading too much into the text here because the text says she brought only what was recommended to be brought, which implies a conversation. Unless Haggai was just coming out and just saying, hey, by the way, Esther, before you go in, take this. He really likes to be tickled by a feather. Or so, I don't know. Take this and bring this little thing in there. You bring this item in there and you're going to go far. I know because I know this guy. And I've watched 126 others walk away. And if you're willing to follow my lead, we'll get you through this, kid. I don't know. The text just says she, she deferred to Haggai and his, Haggai's choice. There's some wisdom there. You know, you're in an impossible situation. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. But you know what? What are wiser people counseling you with? People you might turn to for advice. And, and, and to a person, they're saying, I would uh, not answer that email from a prince in Nigeria with your bank account information. <laughs> but he promised me, I, I'm just saying, or whatever it is. I chose a really random thing. But I probably wouldn't do this. I, you're welcome to do whatever you want, but I... I just, you ask my advice, I'm just giving it to you. And enough people are saying, yeah, don't do that. You probably ought to pay attention. And again, that's even a secular way to go about it. But she asks for advice, and he gives her advice. The narrator keeps details from us, but we don't know how. Well, we'll just keep going here. Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes, the royal residence, in the 10th month the month of Tebeth, and the seventh year of his reign. And here it is. We're in the bedroom. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. Well, okay. The text cleaned everything up nicely, didn't it? And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. The narrator has kept details from us, didn't he? We don't know what Esther had to do. We don't know how Esther felt about it. We don't know if she lived the rest of her life with shame. We don't know if she lived the rest of her life with pleasure. And she said, yeah, I had the opportunity and I took it. And look what happened. We have no idea. We really can't bash her too much and we can't praise her too much. She answered this awkward bell and God favored her. Even in this sexual encounter a night with the king there's tension there I didn't like saying that sentence but to do honor to this text I've got to describe what's going on here if you didn't know you did know but, you, you, but here it is oh. she pleased the king more than any other so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti and the instead of Vashti is one more poke like mm-hmm more of a woman than her. Remember, that was a thing. We got to find a replacement for who? For you, king, for that queen who you had to get rid of. And so now, Esther, 
we're going to start to see a change in Esther, I think. Esther is going to turn into a powerful girl. This girl is queen. Esther's not going to mess around. We'll have comments about Esther later on. Right now, we don't know what to say. We want our heart to break and go, oh, come on, she had no chance. And she just was, she had to be obedient. And don't you know, she was in a patriarchal world and she's being oppressed. And so she had to do this or she was going to die. Um, yeah, Daniel was willing to die. Joseph was willing to die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into that fiery furnace. I don't think we can say that about Esther. We can't, like, oh, she's facing tough situation. Life is throwing her a curveball. She's holding tough cards. She didn't fight, did she? At no point did she say, you know what, I think I'd rather not. Uh, if I die, I die, kind of thing. Um, in fact, she was obedient to Mordecai. We ain't letting him off the hook either. Mordecai, when the Sam Hill is wrong with you, you have one mission in life to, to honor your brother's, da brother's daughter by keeping her intact. You know what I'm saying? Preserving her for that husband that is to come. You have one job, Mordecai, and what the heck is your deal? And toss your faith aside. Don't even tell about your Jewishness. Mordecai, you're killing me. And he's the one that everyone looks to as the big paragon of faith? Are you kidding me? More than not. There's tension here. I love that we're reading this book because we can't, we can't do anything with these people except watch God work even through them. If God can use a bum like me, if God uses dear souls like you, God can use a crazy messed up situation like this. And don't tell me this isn't crazy and messed up. To somehow do the will of God, she's got to sleep with the king. I mean, is that, is that too much of a leap to even say that sentence? I don't know. I don't even know if she thinks about God or God's will. That's the, that's the hard part about the sentence. Not the sleeping with the king part, that part. I don't know if she's thinking about the will of God. In fact, if we had to guess, we'd have to guess no, because the text doesn't say anything about that. Esther was continuously shown favor. Whatever she had to do in that room worked. We like to think, oh, they had a nice conversation and maybe she was just so submissive and he liked that and, and she just did whatever he wanted him to do and she fluffed his pillow and she played chess with him and she took his king and, and all these kind of things. We like to think all these things that Esther was a good girl to the end and that he's like, well, you know what? You're different than everyone else. By golly, there's something about you. I think I'm going to make you queen. You'll grow into the title. Here's the crown. I don't think we can do that, can we? She just came from the harem. We don't know what happened in there, but we know that she found favor. God, are you involved in that? Seriously, God? I thought more of you, God. Right? I mean, that's a wrong thing to say, but the casual reader of this is expecting this to be a religious book at this point. And it still isn't. It's messed up. What information are we not given about Mordecai and Esther in this chapter? We talked about that. We have no idea. We have no idea what motivates these people. When we face difficult choices, how are we to act? What should motivate your decisions as you live this life? Again, if you, all you have is the book of Esther, you're toast. You're not going to give God glory just by, I guess you could, just by, okay, God, just work in me, and I'll just let you work. And, and, but 
Thankfully, we have Hebrews chapter 11. Some call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there are some great all-stars in there. And there are some absolute bums in there. Oh my gosh. Don't get me started on Gideon. On Jephthah. Check out who, the, who made the cut in Hebrews 11. Barak. Oh, are you kidding me? Barak is the loser in the Deborah story. We expect Deborah to be there, not Barak. Jephthah sacrificed his daughter on a stupid vow. Gideon played games with God's grace and made God jump through hoops that God should never have to jump through to get him to stop hiding and to do God's will. Samson, the worst of all the judges. Like, in your average water bottle, you have more faith in you than Samson does. Oh my goodness, and they're in Hebrews 11? Yes. It's the same idea as when Jesus was on the plains of Galilee and he took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000. What did he do? He used what was there. I don't have a lot of faith, so? God fed a nation of people with a Lunchable. He can use your faith. I guarantee you probably have more faith than Samson, and God used that crumb bum. God's going to use you in your situation. So 1 Corinthians 10, I think it's 1031. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You wake up in the morning, God, give me the power, Lord, to give you glory today. You go to sleep at night. Lord, I pray I gave you glory today with my actions and my decisions, and I trusted you along the way. And Lord, I know I failed in this regard, so I confess this to you. Please forgive me. I give, pray for strength to do your will the next day. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And we want to say, yeah, that's what Esther did, but the text doesn't tell us. We don't know. Okay, well, how about something more general, Joel? Fine, John 15. I am the vine, the branches... Remain in me, and the Father is the gardener. Remain in me, Jesus says, and you'll bear much fruit. Remain in the vine. How do you make good decisions as you live this life? Don't, don't seek my will to be done. Seek thy will to be done. Remain in the vine, bearing fruit for the glory of God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Your situations are going to be not so neat and tidy. They're going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. There doesn't seem to be a right plan. I know with me in college, I ticked off everybody sometimes. But at the end of the day, I went to sleep and said, God, I pray I gave you glory today. I know there's so many things I said and did that didn't give you glory, and please forgive me. But I prayed today, I honored you in your kingdom. And I wish I prayed that prayer just like that every night. I didn't. I told you I was a hypocrite back then. But that prayer did exist. It was loosely on my brain as I, as I saw my days being guided. And I don't know why or how, but God used me, even me, at my worst. That's it. Esther's now queen. God gave her favor, and her choices were used for God's glory. That's Esther chapter 2. Thanks for letting me share.